As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see. Welcome to Home Group. My name is Rick Renner, and I am here tonight with the illustrious Denise Renner. Hey, sweetheart. Honey, am I illustrious? You are, Denise. I look at you every day and think, she's so She's illustrious. illustrious. <laughs> Honey, you're beautiful. <laughs> You know what, Denise? I think the older we get, the prettier you are. Thank you, honey. I, I, when I look at the photos of you and me when we were younger, I'm so glad we don't look like that anymore. Well, thank you, Rick. I think you look great. By the way, <coughs> you can see a lot of photos in the new book, Unlikely. There's nine, 90 photos in that book. It is amazing. What a blast. They can see your baby picture. And yours, too, by the way. Well, it's mine's very blurry. Well, <laughs> talk to your parents, don't talk to me. <laughs> but I'm glad you're here. And Paul, we're glad you're here. Hi, everybody. It's a lot of fun to be here. As you can tell, home groups are very unpredictable. We enjoy spending time with each other, and we also enjoy spending time with you. Please write, comment, ask questions. Make it fun tonight. Hey, Joel. And my friends. Hi, Dad. Hi, Mom. Hi, Paul. Hi, Joel. Hello, home group. Welcome. I didn't my get friends, to welcome them. My well, hold on a minute. Okay. My friends, we only do this once a year, and we go through questions and answers. And I think it's a lot of fun. We did this a year ago, me and Dad did on TV, and we enjoyed it tremendously. So we did it again. And we did it again. And these are other questions that we answered before. And look at all the notes. These are all the notes that Dad has written to answer these questions. Okay, Denise, welcome our home group. Home group, welcome. It's an honor to be with you. Thank you for being with us. Okay, I want to ask a question. I want you to talk back to me and tell me. Okay, we were talking about family photos. What kind of family were you from? Were you from a photo family? I grew up in front of a camera. My dad had his brownie camera. He had his four big lights. I can remember on Christmas morning, waking up thinking, what is that in my face? Daddy was taking our photos. My grandmother ran her. <laughs> She took so many photos when we were growing up, and she had those old photos that you could only take a photo with a light bulb once, and then you had to take out and put in another light bulb. Poor Rhonda. I mean, Rhonda was like, <laughs> she just smiled nonstop. <laughs> but Denise was not from that kind of family. In fact, when we put together our biography, we started looking for pictures of Denise. You know what she gave me? Her driver's licenses that had a photo on them. I said, hey, there's no photos of you. She said, my parents just didn't do photos. My family, we went overboard. We have albums and albums and albums of photos. Okay, Paul, answer the question. Are you from a photogenic family? Yes, I am from a family that takes a lot of photos. Of what? Uh, well, most of the time. Well, actually, let's go back a little bit. Before TV. <laughs> Before we, you know, before we started doing television and all that, when we went on family vacations. We didn't ever have a vacation. Well, we did, we did family road trips <coughs> while preach. we were preaching. While we were yes. preaching. And because we did not have a camera, Dad bought those uh, disposable disposable cameras. Nikon. Yeah, Kodak. Yeah, Kodak. And, and so we had bags and bags at the end of our road trips. Uh, which were actually uh, teaching, traveling, teaching trips. We had bags and bags of these disposable cameras. And we carried around a cooler because we didn't want the film to get too hot in the car. 
And, uh, and, and so some of the photos that are, we have today are from those disposable cameras. Uh, but most of the pictures we took were of rocks. If you go through the pictures, most of them don't even have people in them. Wait a minute. <laughs> I saw, I, now, I who would be taking a picture of a I rock? Felt I felt persecuted wonder. yesterday, yeah, and I feel persecuted oh. today also. I, just I like say. rocks, and I like historical I just things. have to say it's better to have pictures of rocks in your family than no pictures. Well, I like to take, take pictures of people. Well, I and my family were very photogenic, not because of me, but because of my Oya, my wife. Mm -hmm. And she takes pictures, a lot of them. A lot of pictures. And good pictures, very good pictures of people. This is a lot of fun. But hey, we're doing this week in the regular TV program, a brand new series called More Questions and Answers with Rick Renner. And the study guide is free. Please go to renner.org and download the study guide. It's free, just get it. And it comes with a wonderful series. And please remember that this week, everything in our website store is... 25%. 25% off. That is amazing. All right, Joel, let's answer questions. Okay, let's get to these questions. How do you go from believing to receiving the promises of God? Well, that is a great question. And people often ask that question. They say, I'm believing and I'm believing. Why am I not receiving? It's a good question. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. And I want us to look at one verse that has really meant something to me. And it's verse 12. It says that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through what? Faith and patience inherit the promises. Everybody say faith and patience. Faith, faith and, and patience. patience. This is very, very important. Two things are required to receive the answer to your prayer. You have to have faith and you have to have patience. And as I pointed out in the regular TV program today, faith is an initiator. It is aggressive and usually... It conveys the idea of something that is masculine. The word patience is feminine. And this is so important because just like it takes a man and a woman to produce a baby, faith by itself is not going to produce anything. Faith has to sow into patience. Just like a man might say, I really want a child, but you know what? He's not going to have a baby by himself. He has to have a wife. It takes two to produce a child. These are the power twins. And likewise, when you begin to pray for something, faith initiates, faith believes, faith is out there. But usually what you believe for, you don't instantly receive. And that's why you have to put it with patience. It begins to grow in the womb of patience. It's very important. And sometimes people say, well, I don't like to be patient. I want the answer right now. And you may not like my answer, but I'm going to tell you, very often we're not ready for what we want right now. And I like to use the illustration of a woman who is pregnant. What if a woman became pregnant one day and she gave birth the next day? That would be the worst horror movie ever made. Can you imagine her body getting bigger and moving and things moving around and emotionally she's not ready and suddenly the next day a baby is there? That nine months is very important for many, many reasons. You gotta get the room ready. You gotta change the way you think. You have to prepare to become a parent. And then even when the child finally comes, you're still waking up to the reality of it. That nine months is very important. And I'll tell you that when I was younger especially, there were many things that I believed for. And guess what, Denise? They were correct. I was believing the right thing, but I wasn't ready. And if I had received the manifestation at that time, I probably would have squandered it. I would have blown it. 
this patience thing is really important because your maturity level comes up to receive what you're believing for. Any comments, guys? I think patience is called the virtue of all. It was, it was called the queen of all virtues by the early church. They really believed if you had patience, it was never a question of if you were going to win. It's just a question of when it was going to happen. But you have to have both. You have to have faith and patience to give birth to the promises of God. And when what you've been asking for, what you've been believing for comes around, it's important to stop and say, wow, that's amazing. It happened. Yes. Because sometimes if we don't stop and say thank you, if we don't stop to just kind of take a look, it, it may, you, may, you may not notice what has happened. And it takes time. Just this Sunday after church, I was looking at our praise and worship team, and we made some changes in our praise and worship team a few years ago. And when we made the changes, it was difficult. Uh, but we knew that we needed to do something different in order to re achieve a different result. I was looking at the stage this Sunday, I was thinking, this is amazing. The changes that we made a few years ago were difficult, and it, it actually seemed to be a setback at the time. But now looking at the stage and the people involved and their heart and how sincere they are in worshiping, I was thinking, this is amazing. We've gotten somewhere, mm -hmm. but we didn't get there overnight. It takes time. You know, when I was 23 years old, God spoke to me. I was living in Fort Smith, Arkansas. It wasn't, we weren't married yet. I was living with my sister and her husband. And one night I was on the back porch just by myself. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you're going to lead churches and start churches. Well, the call on my life is apostolic. And I thought, all right, that's what I'm going to do. And just almost immediately, I started, tried to start starting all these churches. And it was an absolute disaster. The word was right. The faith was right, but the time was wrong. I didn't step into the reality of that until much, 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 much later when my maturity level could handle it. And I just want to tell you that believe the right thing. Hold on, but if it doesn't happen immediately, don't get discouraged. Remember, God spoke to Abraham, told him he was going to have a son. That son did not show up immediately, but he never gave up. And I believe that's one reason why God chose Abraham. God knew Abraham would just stick in there until he received the manifestation. Faith and patience. Let's go to the next question. Please explain the meaning of Hebrews chapter 12 that says we are compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses. All right, let's go to that. Hebrews chapter 12, that's a very good question. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a what? Cloud of witnesses. What does it say next? It says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Several things here. Lots of athletic words in this verse. You have the word for wrestling. You have the word for running. All of that is there. And then you have this word cloud. Well, people see the word cloud and they think that it's cloud, like white clouds that are floating in the sky. It's not what it's about at all. In the first century, if you wanted to go to the Colosseum to see the activities that were happening that day, or if you wanted to go to a game, well, if you got there early, if you had money, you could buy a really good seat down low. But if you got there late, and maybe your budget wasn't so big, the person working at the cashier stand would say, all we have left is a seat in the clouds. 
That was the very, very highest seats in the stadium or in the Colosseum, and they were called the clouds. Well, in this verse, the writer of Hebrews is saying, the reason I say the writer of Hebrews is because really nobody knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people think it was written by Paul. Some people think it was written by Luke. Some people think it was written by Priscilla. Some people think it was written by Apollos, but we know really it came from the heart of God. But whoever wrote it said, hey, this is your time to run your race. It is your time to play the game and wait. Don't be afraid. Just look up. Because if you look in the bleachers, from the lowest seats to the highest seats, clear up into the clouds, you are surrounded by people who ran their races in their times and in their age before you. They did it, and they did it well. And if you're discouraged, thinking your task is too hard, quit looking at yourself and just look at the people in the bleachers who did it. And you can do it too. That's what the word clouds refers to. Beautiful. Next question. Did Jesus really take our sicknesses and diseases when he died on the cross? Yes, he did. Let's go to Isaiah 53. Yes, he did. Now, when you come to Isaiah 53, this is such a very important text. And I want you to see what it says. Isaiah chapter 53. And the Bible tells us, beginning in verse 4, surely. By the way, in, in the Hebrew, the word surely means indeed emphatically. It's like he's raising his voice and saying amen. He hath borne our griefs. That word griefs in Hebrew describes physical sicknesses. Are you ready for this, Denise? He hath carried our sorrows. The word carried means to be under a heavy, heavy load. So whatever the sorrows were, it was very heavy. And the word sorrows refers to mental anguish or mental sickness. So you find Jesus carried our physical sicknesses. He carried our mental troubles. Then if you would go to verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. There he deals with our sin. He was bruised for our iniquities. The word iniquities carries the idea of something that is shameful. So he carried our shame. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. The word peace is the word shalom. Carries the idea of our wholeness and it includes the concept of health. And with his stripes, we are healed. Well, Denise and I grew up in a denomination that didn't particularly believe in physical healing. So they said, this is about spiritual healing. When you get saved, you're spiritually healed. That's crazy. Nobody gets healed when they're saved. We were spiritually dead. You know any dead people that have been healed lately? You don't heal dead people. You raise them from the dead. Nobody gets healed when they get saved. We're physically raised, spiritually raised from the dead. But if you want to really know what that verse is about, then you have to go over to Matthew chapter 4. And Matthew chapter 4, the Bible says, beginning in verse 24. I'm sorry, that's, that's not right. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Here's what it says. Verse 16. And when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, he cast them out with a word and healed all that were sick, verse 17, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself, bear our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. That verse is used in the context of physical and mental illness. And it absolutely means 
Jesus took on himself, listen to this, our physical pain, he took our mental pain, he took our sin, he took our shame, he did everything required that we could be whole, that includes health. By his stripes we are healed. It is a complete picture of redemption. And by the way, if you need to be prayed for, reach out to us. And if you want to understand more about what Jesus did for us, get my book, which is 25% off, called Paid in Full. That is an amazing book. It's on our website. I want to say something because I have a testimony. <clears throat> I have a friend, and she was having, she was having such severe panic attacks. I don't know why, but she was, and they were so bad. She had two little boys, and she was so ashamed. She would even go in the closet when she would have these attacks because she didn't want to see them. And one day she was reading about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And she understood that Jesus was under mental torment. He was. And she understood that he took her mental torment at that moment. She received that and the next day, she was free from those panic attacks forever. That's awesome. Awesome. That's the power that Jesus expressed with his blood, with his sacrifice, with his death, with his time in Gethsemane to set us free, not only from our physical diseases, but our mental diseases. But then he, sometimes people are not healed because they don't know that Jesus took those things. They just think that that's their lot in life and they just have to learn to live with it. No, you do not. Christians should not be sick. Now, Christians are sick for a lot of different reasons, and very soon I'm going to teach a series on that. But you can be well. Jesus died for us to be well. Joel, next question. What did Jesus mean when he said, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that ye fail, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations? Well, Joel, Luke chapter 16, verse 9. I love that verse. I love it. Because Jesus is talking about what we can do with our money. He's talking about cash. It's amazing that cash that you can waste or you can use to go to a movie or to go out to eat and maybe even eat some more than you ought to eat. Just money, just money that you just use anywhere. He says if you use your money right, you can make friends. What kind of friends? By giving your money to a ministry, to the church, people get saved. And Jesus says, then when you fail, it's talking about when we die, they will receive you into everlasting habitations. That is so glorious that because you used your money to reach people, one of these days when you go to heaven, who's going to be waiting for you at the door? All of those people who are in heaven because of what you gave, they're going to receive you into everlasting habitations. Those are the friends that you made with your money. So the best investment we can make is investing in eternity. It's giving to a ministry. And if you're a partner with our ministry, we wouldn't want to say thank you or giving to your church or doing something with your money to make friends for eternity, to bring people into the kingdom of God. And that is an investment that will meet you at the door mm. when you go to heaven. That's what it's about. Joel? My friends, we're out of time. I'm so sorry because we had more questions to go over. This has really been awesome. But if you want to hear the rest of the answers, we asked these questions. I asked Dad these questions in the TV program. You can get that with our series, or you can download this today, guys, for free and read the answers. Yes. But we really want you to hear the rest of the questions, and here they are. Can you please address the teaching on generational curses? It seems some people don't understand redemption 
and claim as a child of God, there can be generational curses still on you. I can't find this anywhere in the Bible. We talk about that. We answer that question in the series. The next one, can young children really be saved and baptized? Can they really understand their need for Jesus? And we talk about that. And the answer is yes, they can. Number seven, are extra-biblical books, such as the book of Enoch, authentic and can be taken seriously? We answer all those questions in our series. So if you want to download this to the guide, read those questions, get the answers, we've done it for you. Anyway, thank you for being with us, friends. And remember that everything on our website is 25% off this week. But we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it.